Our sermon passage for this morning is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. If you're using the Blue Bible under the chair in front of you, that can be found on page 909. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they, that's Jesus' disciples, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will in the same way as you saw him go, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Well, good morning again, and I do send you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Hamilton Baptist Church. As I mentioned, we're in privilege to serve as one of the pastors, at least for a few more weeks, until they send me out with 30, 40, 50 other brothers and sisters to plant Lovettsville Baptist Church. Thank you all for praying and partnering with us in that way, and ask that you continue to pray as we seek to proclaim the gospel in Lovettsville. Well, here in Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's here where Luke, who's also the author of the gospel that bears his name, continues his story or his account of Jesus. You could call it part two. And it's all about what Jesus continues to do after his death and his resurrection. And by explaining what Jesus continues to do, we also learn what we as his followers are supposed to be about as well. It was at a meeting of Baptist leaders in the late 1700s when a newly ordained pastor stood up to argue and discuss the value of missions, foreign missions, overseas missions. He was a young boy when he started reading the adventures of Captain Cook and thought, wow, if we could travel the world like that, why couldn't we take the gospel on vessels like this? Well, that desire as a young boy never went away, and so he became a pastor, and he stood up in this meeting and was discussing how they could take the gospel to the nations when he was immediately and abruptly interrupted by an older pastor who said, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Well, that young lad who was trying to argue for overseas missions, his name was William Carey. And needless to say, he did not take the older minister's advice. Of course, William Carey would go on to become the father of modern missions. But it's that scene that raises the question, what are we as Christians to be about? What's our purpose? What are we here to do? Christian, you this morning, if you're sitting here, why? Why are you still living on this planet? What are you here for? 
course, this is a basic question and perhaps you already know where this is going. But Acts chapter one answers that question. It reveals our purpose, why we're here. And I think Acts chapter one for us this morning as Christians, those of us who are united to Jesus and seeking to follow Jesus with our lives, perhaps some of us have fallen into what's known as spiritual lethargy. The excitement about Jesus has worn off. Our passion for Jesus has diminished. I think this passage this morning can revive us from that spiritual lethargy. And it also offers grace to those of us who struggle to follow Jesus, for those of us who are often self-reliant and plagued by guilt and shame when we fail to do what Jesus commands. And finally, it provides confidence to those who see the state of our culture and perhaps we're prone to despair and doubts about the promises and power of God. Sure, this happened in the book of Acts, but could it happen again? And this is not only for individual Christians, but for us as local churches. But even if you're here this morning and maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian or you're not really sure what you are, this passage is also really helpful for you because Christians do some strange things, don't we? I mean, after all, you're gathered here this week to hear a guy stand up in front of this pulpit reading from a 2,000-year-old book. We dunk people in water. We eat of wine and bread to remember this Jesus guy. What is all of that about? Well, this passage will help you understand why we do those things. And it's not because we're just wishful thinking, but we actually believe that God has spoken in his word and Jesus Christ has come and offers forgiveness of sins and true life. So whether you're a Christian or perhaps not a Christian here this morning, I pray that this passage would be helpful for you and encouraging. And if you don't know Jesus, that you would see Jesus today. Well, here in our passage this morning, in the first few verses of the book of Acts, the first four verses we did not read, we, we actually would find Jesus here with his disciples, his apostles. And note that he's alive. Don't miss over that fact. He's presenting them proofs that he is actually alive. Imagine yourself in the apostles' position. A lot's been happening in Jerusalem. The Messiah, who you've been following for the past three years, was put to death by your own people. And then he rose again, and you're still trying to process this all. Jesus is showing them proofs that he's still alive. And he's still teaching them about the kingdom of God, one of his favorite topics. And he's also talking about this imminent outpouring of the Holy Spirit in verse 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, when you begin to hear fireworks, typically what's going on in your mind, typically the 4th of July is around the corner. And when the apostles are hearing these words such as the kingdom of God or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's sending fireworks in their minds. They knew the promises of the Old Testament. And they knew that when the Old Testament talked about the promise of the coming of the outpouring of the Spirit and the kingdom of God, it was time for restoration. So they asked a reasonable question in verse six. Lord, is now the time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
There's been a lot of ink spilt over this question, but I, I don't think it's as complicated as some make it out to be. They're simply asking, is now the time, Jesus, for you to fix all of this? Jesus, is now the time for you to defeat all of our enemies? After all, outside of this room, we're surrounded by the Jews who just put you to death and the Romans who view us as a threat. And notice Jesus' response. Verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, the apostles are likely thinking about a one end time climactic event within the borders of Israel. They ask, is now the time to restore this to Israel? And they want to know if this is going to happen right now. To which Jesus responds, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about it. Don't write books about it. Don't buy books about it. The Father has the timetable set, and that's what matters. So Jesus corrects their flawed timing, but he, he's not done answering their question. Notice he goes on in verse 8. So verse 7, don't worry about the timing. The Father's got that. There's some things that you don't need to know. In fact, it's probably best that you don't know. But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Do you see how Jesus is answering their question? The disciples ask Jesus if he will restore the kingdom. And Jesus points to them and says, you will receive power. The disciples ask about Israel. And Jesus says, this thing is going to the ends of the earth. Jesus does not deny the reality of his kingdom or the rule of God. But he's showing that it's coming in a way that they did not expect. And its boundaries expand far beyond what they had assumed. He re reorients their minds off a timetable to focus on what they are to do now. In the Bible, we're reminded even from this, this section here, the Bible's not merely interested in filling our minds with knowledge. James 1.22 says, don't merely be hearers of the words. Don't merely soak in the information. That's certainly part of it. But the Bible's not here merely to give us facts or a timetable. It's interested in changing and transforming how we live. And what the message of Acts chapter 1 is showing us is the kingdom is indeed being restored. But it's happening through spirit-empowered witnesses to the entire world. This is the book of Acts. And this includes you and me and our churches. So here's the main idea I want us to think through for the rest of our time together this morning. And it's this. Christian, you exist to bear witness to the world that Jesus is king. Say that again. Our main idea for this morning is that, Christian, you exist to bear witness to the world that Jesus is king. King. After all, this passage is describing Jesus' royal ascension to the throne where he's seated beside the Father and ruling history and his church. First point is this witness 
it's who you are. Witness, it's who you are. Two of my older kids, they're six and four years old, a girl and a guy, they love to do this game where they pretend that they're animals. I'm sure those of you who have children, you can relate to this as well. But I'll walk out into the backyard and I'll oftentimes catch them crawling around on all fours. Sometimes I'll look at them and they'll give me a howl or a growl, depending on what animal they are at that time. And I'll even try to call them in and I'll say, hey, it's time to come in. And I'll call them by their name and they'll say, that's not my name. My name is Shadow if I'm a wolf. Or my name is Tigress if I'm a tiger. And they make up all of these names, but it it completely changes how they act. And of course, it's adorable and it's fun. But we're not really all that different. Because what or who we are changes the decisions that we make. Our identity shapes our decisions and our behavior. I assume most of us are not howling or growling and walking on our all fours. But we certainly have an identity. We find value in certain things. And so who would you say you are this morning, fundamentally, primarily? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What shapes your prayers? Maybe it's that next promotion, moving up another notch so that you devote your time and energy at work. Maybe you're here this morning and you've had another week of trying to be the best mom you possibly can be. So you go above and beyond for your children every day. Or maybe you're really concerned about that next election. So you devote your time and energy into that. Or maybe it's sports, education. We could go on and on, but we all find value and identity in stuff oftentimes. And don't misunderstand me. Be a great worker. Be the best mom. Do good for our nation. But be careful not to find your identity or your purpose in them. They will let you down. But notice what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, you will be my witnesses. It's not actually a command It's not even a hope. Jesus is declaring, you will be my witnesses. It's a noun. It's who you are. Why is the Holy Spirit given to you, Christian? To enable you to be a witness for Jesus. This isn't reserved for a special class of elite Christians who have it all figured out. Keep in mind who Jesus is talking to. It's his apostles, the same guys who abandoned him, at his crucifixion, reminded of his grace. And he's giving this mission not to those who have it all figured out. Acts 5.32 would go on to describe that we are all witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Christian, brother and sister, God has given you the Holy Spirit so that you may bear witness to the reality, to the truth of Jesus. And this picks up on a theme that we discover in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 43, God is speaking to the nations. It's a fascinating passage. Maybe if you have a few minutes this afternoon, you could read Isaiah 43. But God is speaking to the nations. And he invites them and asks them things like, which of your gods can tell the future? 
Bring your witnesses forward, he declares. Prove it. And then in Isaiah 42, it's as if he looks over to Israel and he says to them, you are my witnesses, my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. You are my witnesses that I am God. How are the nations to know who God is and what he is like? How are the nations to know that Yahweh, the Lord, is God of all? Well, God certainly could have just showed up. We see that happen from time to time. But he chose a people. He chose Israel. And what happened? Well, obviously, we read the story of the Old Testament, and we see that they failed to represent and declare who God is. But ultimately, in Isaiah 49, the Lord promised to raise up a servant from Israel who would be a light not merely to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. It says that his salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. And friends, we're reminded when we read the story of Jesus that this true witness, this true servant of God came. He was the light of the world. He testified to what God was truly like. He taught what God's kingdom was truly like. And he was the ultimate witness of God's love and mercy and justice by giving up his own life for sinners in his death and his resurrection. And in so doing, he crushed death. He gives power over sin. He offers forgiveness and he offers life both now and forevermore to anyone who will believe in him. And friends, again, if you're here this morning or you're listening to this, and you have not seen Jesus, you've not uh, considered what he has done for sinners just like you and just like me, he offers life. Shame, guilt may plague your life, but Jesus offers forgiveness, and he stands ready to save anyone who will come to him. You must be united to him, and this happens by trusting him. And back to the book of Acts, for those of us who do trust in Jesus, we become his witnesses. Jesus points to his apostles and says, you are my witnesses. And again, this is what the book of Acts is all about. This is how chapter one ends. We need a replacement for Judas, one who can become a witness, a fellow witness to the resurrection. On Pentecost in chapter two, Peter says that God raised Jesus from the dead to which we are all witnesses. The book of Acts ends with the apostle Paul under house arrest, testifying or witnessing to the kingdom. Friends, we exist to proclaim and display Jesus with our words and with our lives. He is king. And what joy and humility this ought to produce in our lives, that God could do this all himself. God could reveal who he is without us, but he chooses to use us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What a gift. What a purpose we have. Not merely us individually, but for us corporately as churches. We exist to bear witness to the reality of Jesus. Why would God do this? Well, he seems to delight in doing this. 
And perhaps the few years of parenting that I have has, has helped me understand this a little bit more. There's times when I'm doing a project, especially now we just moved into Lovettsville into a new home. And so doing a new project or trying to get something done around the house that a little four-year-old guy will come along and he wants to help. He wants to paint. We were doing a lot of painting and I saw what he can do with crayons and I didn't want to give him paint. <laughs> and so my natural reaction is, no, I got this. I'll do this. It's not quite as efficient if I let him do this. It takes longer. It's probably not done as well as I could do it by myself. But when I'm feeling good and I let him paint and I, I see what he does and I guide him and I help him, there, there's a certain delight that I get. Yeah, I could have done it by myself. And I wonder if God as our father, if that's not the way he delights in us. He could do this all himself. He could show up. He could save the heathens without you or I, but he chooses to use us. Yeah, it gets messy. It's not that efficient when you involve you and I, but what a delight it is to our father. Christian, you exist. You are a witness. But point number two, you're also a witness to the nations. Witness is not just who you are, but you're a witness for the nations. Remember the disciples were asking about Israel, but Jesus says, I'm talking about the ends of the earth. Of course, it's going to start in Jerusalem. It will spread through Judea, through Samaria, but this thing's going global. This is just the beginning and Acts 1-8 becomes the table of contents for the entire book of Acts. Where the gospel is proclaimed, the kingdom advances. Again, we see the book of Acts ending with the Apostle Paul under house arrest, proclaiming the kingdom, witnessing to the kingdom. This is why we still want to do missions. This is why you should do missions. It involves all of us, whether through prayer, whether through giving, whether through grow, going, whether it's a short-term opportunity or perhaps a long-term relocating opportunity. But there's more going on than mere geography. To cross the border from Judea to Samaria was to cross language and ethnicities and division and different values. That was clearly what was happening on Pentecost. So Jesus is telling his apostles, do you remember those people who put me to death? those ones who are powerful and are actually still angry at you for following me, go to them and take this message. You remember the Samaritans, your historic ethnic enemies, go to them and offer them a place in the people of God. Okay, Jesus, you mean like a second class citizen? No, go offer them a place in the family of God. And perhaps even worse of all, go to the ends of the earth. Go to Rome, where they declare that Caesar is Lord and tell them that Jesus is Lord. You mean the ones who recently crucified you as a public enemy of Rome? Yeah, go to them. See, there's more going on here than mere geography. 
the gospel. This message of the kingdom is for all people. And we know how this ends, Revelation 7. Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What a glorious display of diversity. A new and redeemed humanity gathered around King Jesus, the one who has redeemed them by his blood. But brothers and sisters, this is not merely a future reality. Although it is, it's guaranteed, it's promised. It can happen now. It's what our local churches are to be. They're supposed to be pictures or time machines of the future reality of what's to be. So how are you working toward this? How are we working toward this as churches, as our country and county becomes more ethnically diverse. Are you excited about this or does it upset you? Do your prayers, when you pray to God for what's on your heart, do they reflect this? God, let your kingdom come. Do our churches reflect this? I wonder if there's any groups of people, whether ethnic or religious, or a group of skeptics, is there any group of people in your mind that you automatically dismiss from the gospel? Maybe it's your neighbors who are Muslim. You think they're already devout into their religion. I'll just leave them be. Maybe it's a member of the LGBTQ community. They wouldn't be interested in this. Is there a group of people on your mind that you automatically dismiss? Pray to God that he would remind you that this gospel, this good news of the kingdom is for all peoples. It knows no boundaries. And again, Revelation 7, this will happen. This will happen. So don't you want to be a part of something that God himself has ordained it is guaranteed to take place. We want to witness because it's who you are. And of course, we witness to the world. Now, you may be thinking this all sounds really good and exciting, but it feels rather impossible. After all, I, I don't have the words to say. I'm not quite bold enough. I'm not, I don't feel really able to even be a witness for Jesus. Look what happens next. Jesus leaves, and the rest of Acts is filled with opposition and persecution. I'm weak. Jesus is gone. We have opposition. Maybe thinking this sounds really promising. But, brothers and sisters, you're not merely a witness, and you're not merely giving this message to all nations, but you're not alone. Number three, you're not alone. Do you see all three persons of the triune God are involved in this? The Father has this all under control in verse six. He set the timetable. And Jesus didn't leave you. He ascended to his cosmic throne so that he could give you the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power. 
But what's this power for? Specifically so that you can witness. If you were to glance ahead to the book of Acts, you would notice in chapter 4 when they were gathered together, it says they were filled with the Spirit. And what happened? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Or Acts chapter 9, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, you see how it's spreading, just like Jesus said? They had peace. They were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Friends, the Holy Spirit emboldens us to declare the gospel and conforms us to the image of Jesus. He empowers us to display and proclaim the kingdom. So don't think for a second that you're alone. And this is all part of the plan of Jesus. Verse 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. Remember how I talked about at the beginning that there's some odd things that Christians do? Well, there's some odd things perhaps that we believe. Can we just take a second to, to kind of recognize that? This seems odd. Put yourself in this situation. You're standing, you're talking to Jesus. And I don't even know what this was like, but he started going into space. He did this before Jeff Bezos. So what's going on here? Well, I, I don't think he's just trying to be the first person to space. I don't think he's trying to take a trip to Mars. Notice what it says. It says that a cloud took him out of their sight. Why would Luke, the author of Acts, include that? Well, perhaps because there was a cloud and it took him out of their sight. But I also think there's something else going on here that Luke is trying to get across. Do you remember any important clouds in the Old Testament, perhaps? What are they? Well, you've got the wilderness with the people of God in Israel. You've got the cloud that filled the temple. And, and what was this about? What did that mean? It's talking about the presence of God. Do you see where Jesus is going? He's not taking a quick trip to space, but he's going into the very presence of God. He's entering heaven to God's dimension of reality. And the early readers all picked up on something else that was happening here. Do you remember Daniel chapter 7? If you don't, let me read a few verses. Daniel in a vision said, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there was one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was give, given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations and languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, this is Jesus' royal ascension to the throne. This is why we call Jesus king. And don't you love the disciples? They're doing exactly what you or I would have done. 
They're staring their jaws on the ground, trying to take this all in as if the death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't enough. And now they're witnessing this glorious ascension. And so much so they're dazed out by this that two guys, two angels have to come and say, what are you doing? Why are you looking, men of Galilee, gazing into heaven? And they affirm a really core truth about Christianity. This Jesus who you saw go up this way, is going to come back in the very same way. He's coming back. And there's so much we could say about the ascension of Jesus, how he's a prophet and priest and king. But for now, just remember what Peter said in his sermon on Pentecost. He said, this Jesus, who was crucified, who died, for sinners like you and me. He says, God raised him up. And we're all witnesses of this. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Friends, Jesus went up so that you could be sent out by the Spirit He didn't abandon us. He's not taking a needed vacation. After his victory over death, he was exalted and enthroned at the right hand of God. And from there, he sends his spirit and begins his reign. This isn't a mere exit, but an entry to God's throne where he rules history and is building his church until his glorious return. And friends, what that means is we're still part of this story. Jesus has yet to return, which means he's still building his church. He's still sending his spirit to his people so that we may bear witness that Jesus is king. And one day this kingdom will fully and finally come. But until then, we have work to do. We're his witnesses as individuals and as churches together. We're not alone. Consider what Stephen would say as he was being martyred. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's fascinating. How can somebody who's being persecuted, not merely persecuted, but being put to death for their faith in Jesus, not merely just die, but ask for forgiveness for those who are murdering him? That's only something the gospel can do. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He understood that Jesus was king. Friends, whether you're a Christian here or not this morning, do you see that? Do you see that? Again, we can look around, or maybe we can just look within our own hearts and our own doubts that we sometimes experience, or the frustration that we have as we try to pursue Jesus and follow him. And we become, we can doubt that Jesus is really who he says he is. 
This passage is reminding us that Jesus is indeed king and he's still ruling and reigning. And he's using you to bear witness to him. So since Jesus is actively ruling and reigning, friends, bear witness to him. So yes, do your job well. Be the best mom. Be the best parent. Make this country better, but understand primarily you're called. The reason you exist is to bear witness to Jesus with your words and your deeds. Because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, by King Jesus, maybe it's time, even as, I don't, I don't know, maybe I feel a shift in COVID world. Maybe it's coming back. I don't know. But if there is a shift, maybe now's the time to take the opportunity to talk to those neighbors who you've never had the opportunity to talk to yet. Or you've had the opportunity and you've just put it aside. Maybe now's the opportunity to grab coffee with that coworker. Or maybe now's the time to talk to your classmate or fellow students about the reality of Jesus. Maybe you need to join a club in the community or coach a sports team so that you can bear witness to Jesus. And let's not forget we have the church. You all have this local church to be a part of, to talk to one another, to strategize together, to pray together. You're not alone because God's given you the Holy Spirit, but he's also given you his people. What confidence we should have, backed by our triune God, set by the Father, ruled by the Son, empowered by the Spirit. And you have this community around you, committed to you, committed to one another. And what urgency we should have, as King Jesus said, he is coming back. And we don't know when, right? Jesus says, you don't know. But may the Lord find us faithful when he returns. By his grace, Christian, you exist to bear witness to the world that Jesus is king. Let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful for your word in which you reveal your purpose for us as to why we're here, as to why we gather as a church, as to why we do the things that we do. And I pray that as we have just read and thought about Acts chapter 1, that you would stir our hearts. For those of us who are perhaps in sin, would you lead us to repentance and Father, I pray that you would strengthen this church and embolden them and so that they may be a witness for Jesus in this community. And I pray this for other local churches like ourselves. Father, we want to see Jesus exalted among the nations. And so we pray that just as you promised, that you would pour out your spirits and that we would indeed proclaim Jesus with our words and deeds. And we cling to your promise, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.